Good morning, friends. Welcome to The Well. My name is Ryan Gear. I'm the pastor here. If you're new with us, you're our guest, and we're glad you're here. And if you'd like to let us know you're here, just text the word WELCOME to 480-530-7234. It'll text you back with the digital connect card. Just fill that out and tell us about yourself, and you'll get more information about The Well. We appreciate you being with us here today. Today's a communion service for us. If you'd like to participate after the message today, just have a piece of bread and a beverage with you, and uh, feel free to participate with us and take communion uh, together with us today at the end of the service. Today, uh, we're going to hear from a pastor named Wendy Lyons-Crostick. She's an associate pastor at Church of the Resurrection in Kansas City. And today, her message is about persistence in the pursuit of transformation. Here at the start of a new year, lots of people make New Year's resolutions. Whether you make resolutions or not, it's a time to look back and reflect on the previous year and then look ahead um, to the year in front of us. And so we think about improving ourselves or in, in growing as a person in our spiritual lives. And Wendy's message today is about persistence as we seek to grow and not being discouraged and not giving up, especially in the kind of time that we live in now. Uh, persistence and and not giving up is extremely important. And so Wendy's going to share today about prayer and how um, a persistent widow in the Gospels uh, taught us something about prayer and growth. And so I invite you to watch now Wendy Lyons-Crostick and Persistence in the Pursuit of Transformation. My husband Scott and I have a little boy named Freddie, and he's four and a half years old now, and so Christmas was especially magical this year. Um, People kept saying, like, has he really kind of grasped on to the excitement of Christmas? And I said, absolutely he has. So in the years past, he sort of would get a little worn out on Christmas morning. He would open a few gifts and then kind of need to take a break, and then open a few more gifts and take a break. But this year, there was none of those taking breaks. He was just like head in, ready to be able to open gifts. I think we actually have a picture of him um, when he was ready to open gifts. So here he is. So you can see that he, he's opening a gift, and then at the same time, he's like totally focused on what's coming next. He's like, yes, I know something awesome is coming. Um, so we had a really great Christmas, um, but I thought rather than tell you what his favorite gift was this year, that I might talk about his favorite gift from last year. And his favorite gift was a gumball machine. So he is his mother's son and he loves sweets. And we thought this is a really good way to be able to regulate how much sugar he's actually going to have because at the gumball machine, the whole premise is that you have to put money inside and turn it. So you have to get money from your parents in order to actually have gum. Well, that sounded really good in theory, but to Freddie, who really likes sugar and really likes gumballs, this was not a really good plan. So he would often ask and ask and ask to get gumballs. And then one day, I was home alone with him, and I saw that he had gum in his mouth. But I hadn't given him any money. And so I looked at him, and I said, Freddie, how did you get gum? And he said, I got money from your purse. And I was like, oh, my goodness. I certainly hope this is not a vision of things that are to come. And so we had a really good conversation about how you don't take things without asking. And I am happy to say he's not done that since. But he continued to press on. So um, a few months later, I was in the living room again, and, and I heard this kind of like, kind of crankly sound, something going on in his room, and I'm like, okay, what's happening in there? So I walk in, and this is what I see. So he's found a way. 
I didn't know if you knew this, but you can actually open a gumball machine without even using any money. So he figured out, all I gotta do is just open it up at the top and I can stick my hand right in there and I can get as much gumball that I want without money. So again, we had a conversation and I said, hey, you know, like, let's wait and ask for money. Now that's a really hard thing to erase from a four-year-old's memory when he knows that he can just really get gum any time that he wants. But slowly but surely, he was able to kind of let it go until about a month ago when he came up to me and he said, Mommy, I made a mistake. And I was like, oh, sweetie, it's okay. And he said, I made a mistake in my room. And I was like, okay, I have no idea what to expect. It could be anything. So I walk into his room, and this is what I see. He had found a way, yet another way, to open up the gumball machine and had knocked off all of the, all of the coins were all gathered on the ground, and he was really sad, and he felt bad about it. I said, it's okay, sweetie. So we picked up the, all the money, and we put it back in the gumball machine, and of course, I gave him some money to get gumball because, you know, he, he told me he made a mistake, and it was really sweet. And so, anyway, so we did that. I thought, okay, that's that. Until, I, I kid you not, two weeks ago, I walk into his room and we're, you know, we're kind of like playing and doing some things and I notice he has gum in his mouth, but the gumball machine is actually on the shelf and it's not like taken apart, nothing's going on, and I thought, well, what happened? And I said, Freddie, how did you get gum? He said, I took money from my piggy bank and I was like, okay, well, this guy, this little boy is one persistent little guy, and I'm just going to say, that's fine. You get whatever gum you want. You can have as much as you want, and I'm just going to sort of like give up on trying to stop you. So I jokingly bring that up because we're in the season of a new year, and I think back to Freddie, and he, it took him a whole year to finally work up enough and figure it out enough that he could get whatever he wanted when it came to the gumball machine. And I think about New Year's resolutions. And I know that there are many of us in the room, hopefully I know I'm not the only one, and that is that I set out to do something when the year starts, and then I sort of lose steam as the year goes along. And so I'm going to ask a question by show of hands, how many of you have ever set a New Year's resolution? Anybody? Okay, now, how many of you have actually kept one? Okay, so the numbers are pretty slim. That's okay. You are not alone, I promise. So I did some little research on Forbes magazine, and I found these statistics. And that is, after just 30 days, only 25% of the people are actually sticking with the resolution that they set. And then, by the end of the year, only 8% of the people have actually finished and completed their resolution. So for those of you out there, you are one of the 8%, and maybe we should be talking to you about advice, about setting some resolutions. Um, but as I thought about it, you know, there's something, there are lots of things that distinguish Fred, who's a part of the 8% and in comparison to the other 92% of us. And I'm sure there's lots of things about him that make him unique. But what I think probably more than anything else made him be able to achieve what he was wanting to do, or any of us for that matter, is persistence. Because when he came up against an obstacle, even if it took him a long time to think about it, he found a way to be able to transform that and to push past it and to seek after what it was that he wanted. And so I'd like to suggest that there's something far more profound than you can do in 2020 than trying to get gum without your parents' permission. And that profound thing, when you think about it, what it takes is a little bit of persistence. And what I'd like to suggest is that the thing that will transform your life more than anything else 
is connecting with God through prayer. And so my hope is today that I can talk with you a bit about ways that you might employ strategies and that you might find hope even when it feels like you've been praying a lot and it's hard, and it might give you something to hold on to. So our passage today is a parable from the Gospel of Luke, and Jesus models a lot and talks a lot about prayer for us. He models it for us. He teaches us the Lord's Prayer. But specifically, I chose this passage to talk to us about prayer because it is written to a group of people who are feeling like they're ready to give up. And we know that because at the very onset of the passage, Jesus is telling people that it's about praying without losing heart. And so if he's telling them this, he's saying it because at some point the people have felt like we keep trying to do the best that we can and we feel like we're not getting anywhere. I don't know if you ever felt like that, but you were in good company. So here's what Jesus says. Jesus told them a parable about their need to pray always and not lose heart. He said, in a certain city there was a judge who neither feared God nor had respect for people. In that city, there was a widow who kept coming to him saying, grant me justice against my opponent. For a while, he refused, but later he said to himself, though I have no fear of God and no respect for anyone, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will grant her justice so that she may not wear me out by continually coming. And the Lord said, listen to what the unjust judge says. And will God not grant justice to his chosen ones who cry to him day and night? Will he delay long in helping them? I tell you, he will quickly grant justice to them. So there are two characters in this story. There's a judge and a widow. And judges in this day, and I know obviously, hopefully, in this day as well, are those who were really sort of lifted up in the community. They were people who were honorable. They were people who sought justice. And they were people who'd be impartial. And they played a really important role in the society because they helped to try to dissipate whatever challenges, whatever disputes there may be happening. But what we hear on the onset of this passage is that this is not that kind of judge, which means he's not out for the betterment of everybody else. He's out for his own sake. And when the widow comes to him, he's not really interested in helping her, likely because she doesn't have anything to offer him. You see, widows, as understood, you know, by their name, they have lost their husbands. Their husbands have passed away. And because of the way society was built in those days, what it meant that she didn't have any support any longer, no longer financial support. And what is more, when her husband passed away, she couldn't lay claim to anything that he had owned before because it was all his property. And because it was a patriarchal society, Anything that was his was then either passed on to his sons, if he had male sons, or it was passed along, if there were no male children, it was passed along to other men in his family, so his brothers or long-distant people in his life. And she didn't have anything left. And so when she's coming to the judge, presumably he wanted to get something out of it. He wanted to make it worth his while. He wanted someone to sweeten the deal, give him a bribe. And she didn't have anything to give. One scholar says this, The judge is her sole hope of securing justice, and persistence is her only recourse. She doesn't really have any other option but to be able to be persistent. 
And so she keeps coming back to him day after day for what could have been weeks or months or even years. She continually kept coming back to him until finally he said, fine, I give up. I'll grant you justice. I'll hear you out. But as it is with parables, we know that there's something so much deeper always going on. And Jesus gives us a glimpse of what this is supposed to be. So he starts the very parable with the onset of saying, this is a parable about praying without losing heart. But I also think there's another important thing for us to consider. So he's calling us and he's urging us to say, I'm calling you to be persistent. To keep after it, even when you feel like you don't want to keep going. But there's another element. Because it's not just about the widow's character. It's not just about our character and the way in which we are called to live our life. But it's also about God's character. Because there's this judge And Jesus is comparing God to the judge and reminding us of if this judge is going to hear her, how much more so will God, who is compassionate and merciful and loving, hear you out? And Jesus is hopefully just telling the people, I want you to remember the God that you're praying to. The God that you're praying to is one that is full of grace and truth. So when you feel like giving up, don't. Because the God that you serve is one who longs to give you love and to be with you in the midst of even the most challenging times. So we, as we seek to be persistent in our prayer, we have an opportunity to co-create with God and to be a part of God's mercy and part of God's love and to respond. And I, I think with a little bit of persistence and seeking something bigger than ourselves as she was, we can find that our lives can be transformed. Now, I say all that, that you just got to keep pressing on and keep moving forward in prayer, but I realize that is a whole lot easier said than done. Because if you've ever found yourself in a situation where you're praying for something to happen and you feel like you're getting nowhere, if you're anything like me, you felt a bit like a failure, you felt rejected, And you've probably felt angry and upset and hurt and betrayed. And those are all really normal feelings. Because when we are seeking after something that we long for so badly, and we feel like we're not getting anywhere, it can feel overwhelming. And we're not quite sure what to do or where to go. But I would like to suggest to you that prayer isn't just about getting the result that we want when we want it. But prayer is about what happens inside us. What's happening while we're praying. The way in which we're connecting with God and somehow our lives are becoming different because of the time we're spending in prayer. Because prayer isn't principally about the result. But prayer is about something so much bigger. Prayer is about the transformation that happens while we are seeking after what we are desiring. Prayer is about what happens, the transformation taking place in our lives while we're seeking after that thing that we long for so much. And in my life, I've seen this happen. I've seen in the midst of pain, being able to find resilience. And I've seen that as I have talked, talked, talked so much, I found that sometimes what God is teaching me is that I need to be still and listen and to take in a bit of silence. 
And ultimately what I find is that I'm seeking after who God longs for me to be, that it's almost as if I can't really even see it, but the more that I pray about it, the more I become who I feel like God has called me to be. And so one moment at a time, one step at a time, one prayer at a time, my life can be transformed. And I think yours can as well. At some level, we all have said, we want to be a better version of ourselves. And maybe prayer is already a really powerful part of your life, and you have a really amazing way of connecting and and making sure that prayer is a continued part of your life. But I also know that there are times in our life when things are really good and we're on a great track, and then times when we kind of, things are not so good. And so I want to suggest to us and offer us some really kind of practical tools to say, what might I be able to do in order to incorporate prayer into my life more often and make it truly become a habit? And that 2020 might be one of those years that I could look back and say, wow, my life is different because of the time that I spent connecting with God in prayer. So I thought I would share with you a book that's actually my husband's, uh, but I've been reading, and it's called Atomic Habits. And the title is An Easy and Proven Way to Build Good Habits and Break Bad Ones. So I thought, okay, this feels really good. It's a great way to look at the new year. And I'm not going to talk to you about breaking bad habits, but I am going to talk to you about hopefully building good habits, habits of prayer. And there are lots of things that the author talks about, but one of them I found to be particularly helpful, and he says this, Tiny changes make a big difference. So for me, that feels pretty encouraging because if I've ever set out to do something really big and grand, I find that I have probably bitten off more than I can chew. And so I get kind of deflated. I'm like, okay, maybe I make it two or three weeks into a resolution and then I'm like, okay, I'm done. But small changes, that seems like something that I could actually do. But he's got a caveat. Because it's not just about actually doing those things for a short period of time. It's about doing them for a substantial amount of time so that you can have a transformative difference in your life. He even made this little graph, which I found rather helpful and fascinating. So I think we can put it up right here. And he calls this the plateau of latent potential. So if you can see that, you can see that as you look across it, you can see there's a result and there's time. And there's this idea of what we think should happen. And what we think should happen is we should start here and slowly but surely change happens and we begin to get better and better and better and it's incremental. Well, there is incremental change, but that's not actually how it usually happens. Because you can see there's this other sort of like wild curve and that's what actually happens. And you can notice for quite a substantial amount of time, there's no real change that happens. But then all of a sudden, it's like you hit a tipping point and things go drastically up. But there's a difference between what we think will happen and what actually happens. And I love this. He calls this the valley of disappointment. And I thought, okay, that's a pretty good name for it. I feel like maybe I've found myself in the valley of disappointment. And maybe you found yourself there too. Maybe you set out one year and you said, I'm going to work out and I'm going to get in great shape. And so you start the year off with a bang and you're like, okay, I'm going to work out this week. And you work out three times that week and you're feeling good and you do the same thing the next week. And then you're like, well, I don't really see much change happening, but I'm going to keep at it. And you do it for another week and another week. And by the end of January, you're like, I've been doing this for an entire month and nothing has changed. Hence the statistics at the beginning of the sermon 
that about only 25% actually continue on with the thing that they're doing. You get to that point and you're like, I haven't seen any real change. Is it worth my effort? Is it worth my time? And so you give up before you have an opportunity to see the transformation that takes place. And so the real hard work happens in that sort of valley of disappointment. It's that time in our life when we say, I have to keep doing the thing that I know is good for me, the thing that I know will make a difference, even when I don't see any change happening. I have to keep at it, knowing and hoping and praying that a change will happen. I love the definition of faith that's found in Hebrews that says, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. So at some point, we have to trust, we have to have faith that there's something bigger, that the thing that we're seeking after truly will change our lives even when we can't see that it's happening. And I know I say to a lot of people, and I've had to say to myself times before, that spiritual transformation takes time. Honestly, most things that are really worth it take a lot of time and a lot of effort. And it's not as if we can snap our fingers or go to bed one night and wake up the next morning and things are going to be dramatically different. But it's through small incremental changes that we can change our life. So I wanted to share with you a formula that the author gives about adding, and adding on a new habit. And so I would like to suggest that prayer would be something that you would add as a habit into your life. So if you're the kind of person who likes to take notes, you can take out your GPS and maybe write these down, or they're also going to be on the screen behind you. But I'm going to give you three different ways that you can add prayer into your life. The first is, I will pray at blank at Blank. So at a certain time in a specific location. So, for instance, you can sort of insert whatever it makes sense for you. I will pray at noon in my office when I'm eating my lunch. I will pray as soon as I put my kids to bed in their room. I will pray as soon as I wake up in the morning in my room. I will pray at 9 a.m. I'll set an alarm clock on my phone, and I will pray in my car as I'm on my way to work. You can insert whatever sort of time that might be. But what's important is that you would say, I'm going to set something concrete. Because if I just say, I'm going to pray more, it's really hard to actually add that to your life. The second thing that he suggests is that you add it on to something that you're already doing. So you think about a habit that you may have already. For instance, brushing your teeth. Hopefully everybody brushes their teeth every day. I sort of, I talked to a dentist earlier today and he was like, I can't believe you're giving your son gumballs. And I was like, oh, I know, but we do brush his teeth. So sort of hopefully we, it, you know, sort of levels out. So it could be that after I brush my teeth, I will pray. You can insert any other thing that you do on a daily basis. After I wake up in the morning, I will pray. Whatever that might be, add it on to something that you know you do on a regular basis. After I open up my laptop, after I read my first email, whatever it might be, you then add an opportunity to pray after that. And the last is sort of like a rewards-based system. And this is that after I pray, I will blank. My, this one is the one that I found is most helpful for me because I love coffee. And so I will, after I pray, I will drink my first cup of coffee. Well, I usually sort of do it at the same kind of time. I'm like, okay, I can have my cup of coffee and I can pray at the same time. But it's sort of like a reward. So you can insert whatever it is. You could binge on Netflix. You could scroll through social media. I don't know what that might be. But it just, the idea is to be able to say, if there's something else that I want, 
Adding something that I want to do, this new thing in my life, will help me to build a habit. And you may not necessarily have to employ these strategies forever, but at least what it will do is help you to start, to have a rhythm, to change who you are. And what you recognize is that it becomes a part of who you are and you just kind of continue on doing it. And hopefully that will help you as you're looking into the new year. But what I don't want us to forget, what I don't want us to lose is something really important that I think the widow has to teach us. Because I do believe that no matter what we do and no matter what we say in prayer, the more that we do it, we will find that we are connecting with God in a powerful way. But what we see in the widow is that she's seeking something much bigger than herself. She's seeking after justice. Now, I don't know, and I'm not in her life, but I kind of would like to think that there's a part of her that says, I'm not just doing this for me. I'm doing it for all the widows out there who don't have the energy to fight. And so the next time that she gets rejected and the next time and the next time, she realizes that she's doing it not just for herself, but for other people. And it gives her inspiration and it gives her something to move forward for. And so when you imagine that you are seeking after something that's bigger than yourself, when you know deep down in your core that you're fighting for something that truly matters, that it's not just something out there, but it's something that you really believe in, it seems a whole lot easier when you get rejected, when it feels like you're failing, and you don't want to keep going forward because you know it truly matters. And I don't know what that thing is for you. Maybe you found yourself in this past year saying, I want to fight for justice. I want to do what's right. And I want to pray about how God might be at work in my life to do that. And maybe you found yourself saying, I want to be more loving. I want to be more kind. I want to be more gracious. Or I want to be more grateful. I want to be more generous. I want to be more honest. I want to be more forgiving. I'm not sure what that is for you, but whatever it is, think about how you might be able to employ this deeper calling within you and how praying for that might spur you on to change your life. I'll share with you the thing that I have been praying for a lot lately, and I've really actually been praying for it since my son was little, and that is patience. I am somebody who tries, I might, have, have not been a very patient person because I want things when I want them and I'm pretty driven and I'm going to get them. And, and yet, when you have a child, your schedule is not your own. And he is at this really fun age where he is, he really can do all these great things by himself. It just so happens that if he wants to do something by himself, it takes about 10 minutes, whereas if I helped him, it would take about two minutes. And this always seems to come up as we're ready to get out the door. And it doesn't matter, I, you know, like Freddie gets up at 5 a.m. So by the time we're trying to leave at 8 a.m., we should have had plenty of time to get ready in the morning, but it doesn't matter because we're always seeming to be rushing out the door. And this is the moment that my patience is tried. And two weeks ago, we had this awful snowstorm, and I hate the snow. I know some of you love it. I'm sorry, I'm not one of those people. So I grew up in Louisiana. Yes, I did live in Michigan for three years, and there was lots of snow, but I grew up in Louisiana, and it's 
snowed maybe three or four times in my life, and I never had to drive in it. And so it always stresses me out. So that particular morning, I was trying to get him ready, and it was taking too long. And it sort of ended with him crying in the back seat because I'd like shoved him into his car seat and snapped him in, and he wanted to do things himself. And I was like, we got to get going. And so I start up the car, and I push on the, the garage to open it up, and I, the garage starts going up, and then I back out, and I hear a crunch. You guys have probably know that crunch, and I was like, oh, no. And the only thing in that moment that felt appropriate to say was a bad word. I'm just going to be really honest. And so, of course, Freddie says, mommy, what does blank mean? And I was like, oh, no. So I like composed myself and I said, Freddie, mommy's so sorry. I said a bad word. Please never say it. I made a mistake. And so I was like, I, please never, ever, ever say that word. So, okay. So he's fine. We had the conversation. And then <clears throat> about two days later, I get a text from my husband. And this is like the sort of text thread. And he, he said, did you say a bad word in front of Freddie? And I was like, mm, yes, I did. And he said, what happened? So I went on to explain, and then I called him on the phone. And I don't know if you've ever had one of those moments. Maybe you said something around your kids, or maybe you've just said something you wish you could take back. And it feels awful. It felt like I had kind of been punched in the stomach, and I was like, ugh. And I remember getting into my office that day, and I walked into my office, and I was like, I was just a puddle of tears. And I felt this incredible sense of guilt, like, I can't believe I did that. And I'm pregnant, so it didn't help, so I was crying even more. And I found myself sort of saying, like, okay, I'm trying the best that I can. I'm trying to be patient. And it just feels like I keep coming up against these things. And I know, I know that... In the end, it's okay if I'm a little bit late. I know that it's a better thing to do, but I just kind of keep finding myself doing the same things. And I felt frustrated. I felt defeated like a failure. I'm like, after all, if I've been praying for patience and I'm not really changing anything, like, come on, what am I even doing? But then I took an opportunity to kind of look at it a different way. And I thought, you know, maybe in that moment, I certainly was not patient. But at least I recognized it. And sometimes answers to prayer don't look like me suddenly overnight changing and becoming a patient person. But what it looks like is helping me to see things that I might not otherwise see. And the thing I know that I saw in that moment was a reminder that I need to just slow down. I know it's not that big of a deal. I know that I need God a whole lot more than sometimes I, I might even recognize that I do. Because in the midst of prayer, it changes not necessarily getting us to the result that we want, but it helps to change how we see things and how we interact with things. And what I realize is that there have been moments there have been moments when I've been patient and I'm able to celebrate those. And then there are moments like the garage door and I'm like, okay, I've got a long ways to go. But I recognize that I'm on a journey trying to live my life differently. And I don't know what that thing is for you that you've been praying for. 
But I know that it can be really hard sometimes. And there have been times when I feel like people even say, well, you sure don't seem to be acting very patient, or you sure don't seem to be acting very kind, or, or they make us almost feel worse about how we're not living into the life that we want to live, and it can feel really easy to just give up. But I want to tell you, please don't. Because there's so much more out there. And you never know when you're right on the cusp of something transformative. I want to encourage you to keep moving forward. I have one final story that I wanted to share with you about a way that that God answered prayer in a unique way for a family in our congregation. So on Christmas Eve, I received an email that was forwarded to me from Pastor Claire Clough. And she was sending an email to Carla and Frank Smocks. And Carla and Frank are the parents of Keisha Clay, who was a dear friend, member of this church, actually served on staff here at Resurrection, and was a pretty incredible human being. And she passed away this summer, unexpectedly, tragically. And Pastor Claire sent an email to Carla and Frank that I want to read to you. I wanted to take a moment and wish you both a Merry Christmas and share an amazing story with you. Pastor Justin came to Pastor Courtney and I this morning and offered to treat us to a coffee at Starbucks to get us ready for Christmas Eve. He came back to the office and shared an amazing blessing. Someone had gone to Starbucks and given them $100 and said, please bless as many people with this gift in honor of Keisha. Here's a picture of Pastor Justin. Justin happened to be one of the recipients, and I know without a doubt God was blessing us through that gift, and I like to think that Keisha is looking at us and continuing to share her sparkles and joy. Keisha's legacy, love, and kindness continue to make an impact. It's concluded with, we're holding you both in prayer as you journey into this first Christmas without her. May God surround you both with God's love. Claire. A few moments later, Claire got the following email from Carla with a picture attached. Here's a picture of Keisha and a Starbucks Christmas tree. And she said, thank you, Claire. How awesome of God to bless the resurrection family. What are the odds that Justin would be there at that time? This is another example of God caring for us and using his marvelous ways to let us know he's walking with us on this grief journey. I love you guys. Carla. And as I read that, I thought about how hard the past few months have been for Carla and Frank. And that I know that they're praying for the pain to go away. But of course it doesn't go away overnight. That's not the way grief works. And yet, they've been persistent in their prayer and connecting with God and seeking to have their life transformed. And what prayer has done for them is it's helped them to see things they might not have otherwise seen. That in the midst of seeing someone receive this blessing, they could say that God is with them, showing them how much God cares about them. So does God answer prayer? Absolutely. And it might not always look like what we think it will. And it might not always happen in the time frame that we think that it will. But I can assure you 
that will transform your life. It might be that every now and again you get just this little glimmer of hope when you feel like giving up and it's enough to urge you on and keep you moving forward. It might be that your answer to prayer is a wake-up call and a realization that you've got to change something. I don't know what it might be. But my hope is that you wouldn't give up because moment by moment, day by day, you just might be on the cusp of complete transformation. So my encouragement for you this year, and you can start January 1 or you could start right now, is to continue to incorporate prayer into your life because through persistence, you can have your life transformed, transformed to look more like Christ. Let us pray. God, we give you thanks that you are who you are, God of compassion and grace and mercy and love. You see us when we are struggling. You see us when we want to give up, and you say, I love you so deeply, and you offer us encouragement at moments when we need it. God, help us to stay the course. Help us to seek after you. Help us not to lose heart, but to continually find hope in you. Help us as we seek to be those who live after a life that you've called us to live. All this we pray in Christ's name. Amen. We appreciate Wendy's message today. And when we think about growing as a person, especially in a difficult time like the one we're living in now, communion is very important to us as followers of Jesus. Growing, essentially for us, is attaining union with God, becoming more like Jesus in our character. And so communion helps us to experience unity with God. And so if you'd like to participate with us, just have a piece of bread there and a beverage and invite you to take communion with us today. So on the night Jesus was betrayed, he shared a meal with his disciples and he took the bread and he thanked God for it and he broke it. And he said, this is my body broken for you. As often as you eat it, remember me. So I invite you to consume a piece of the bread now. And in the same way, he took the cup. He thanked God for it. And he said, this is my blood of the new covenant shed for the forgiveness of sins. As often as you drink it, remember me. Let's drink from the cup. I invite you to pray with me. God, here at the beginning of a new year, and especially a year like 2021, we thank you for the example of the persistent widow. This person who didn't take uh, no for an answer from somebody in power and who kept asking, who, who didn't give up on her goal. And God, as we want to grow as people, especially in a difficult time, we are tempted to give up. We're tempted to be discouraged. We're tempted to allow the circumstances that we live in to dissuade us from becoming the kind of people that we know we can be, the, the kind of people we're being called to be, that we're challenged to be in a time like this. And so thank you that 
we have the example of somebody who did not give up, somebody who was persistent. God, we want to grow. We want to become better people. We have seen the ugliest sides of humanity over the past year. And it, it challenges us to be able to grow beyond the ugliness that we've seen, to grow in our empathy, to grow in our compassion, to become people like you who see the world and who are concerned about everybody in it. So God, as we take communion today, um, help us to grow towards union with you. And we thank you that you're not like this judge who had to be pestered to do something, but that you want a relationship with us that is ongoing and honest. And that helps us to not give up. We thank you in Jesus' name. And everybody said,